0: Happy spring, almost summertime. Thanks for being with us for this, uh, I guess, month's quarters, Parents Empowered Podcast, hoping to help parents, teachers, educators, families really talk about the hard issues of making sure their kids have a safe and happy summer. Joining us in the podcast room today is David Watkins and Heidi Dutson. Both of them are regional directors for prevention here in Utah. This is always a fun conversation. I know a lot of parents probably think fun is not the exact word to use for this, but it really can be fun uh, talking to your kids and connecting to them and making sure as we head into a new season that they stay alcohol-free. So thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. I feel like we were barely getting into the pandemic the last couple of podcasts and kids weren't really going anywhere and we were watching them all the time, but things have changed. Kids are getting back out. We're having graduations. There's going to be graduation parties. So this is a great time to talk to our kids about that. David, uh, why is it so important as we kind of change seasons or change what kids are doing to refocus on these conversations?
1: I think particularly right now, like you mentioned, with COVID hopefully subsiding and we're getting back to normal, um, getting out more, there's just more opportunity for kids to be, you know, roaming around without parental supervision. And maybe even they've been locked in home for a few months or a year even, or a little over a year, and now they've got that freedom back. And we as parents need to be reminded that it's important to monitor what they're doing and, and ensure that what they're doing is safe for their brains and for their developing brains. Um, and right now with graduation and with parties at the, as the end of the school year happens, we want parents to be reminded that you know, alcohol harms that developing brain, and we really want them to provide maybe opportunities for their youth to have uh, alcohol free, drug free parties or activities. And so, if you're a parent, you know, think about those opportunities that you might have to host a party instead of just letting your um, children go to other people's parties. You maybe could be that good example in your neighborhood.
0: And I think that that's sometimes stressful for parents. are like, I don't want to be in charge, I don't want to stay up all night long, I don't want to do this. But I think the stress of having a party at your house where you're in control, you know what's happening is way less stressful than what I do sometimes when my kids are out late at night and I'm constantly clicking on their phone to track them or see what they're up up to, wonder where they're at, so throw the party, and the interesting thing is our kids are probably like, oh, I don't want to be at our house, but we're young, we're cool, right? It wasn't that long ago, we can do this, and your oldest is nine, so this is a ways off for you, but Heidi, you've had kids that have kind of gone through this phase, did you ever try that with them, do parties at home, or how did you navigate the graduation?
2: Yeah, I sure did, and you know, it's exactly what you're saying, like you compare that stress of buying a few pizzas and some treats and having some fun games, um, compared to that late night stress where you're unsure maybe um, where they are and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's an awesome opportunity. And something I think that is also valuable from that is you really get a sense of the relationships that your kids have. And you get to know your kids' friends. And that can have a great impact not only on your own kids but on those lives too. So I always welcome that opportunity um, you know, to to offer a bonding opportunity to my kids' friends as well.
0: I'm glad you bring that up because this last year has been a really strange year. I always pride myself on knowing who my kids' friends are. I know who they are. I know what they're up to. My, they always say I interview them when they come over because I sit them down and grill them and know everything about them. But I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like I don't know my kids' friends this year. I have a son who's in junior high, ninth grade, going to high school. And he has new friends, and I don't know who they are because no one's been going over to other people's houses recently or going on. And so it's a great idea before the school year ends to kind of not capture and round them up, but kind of know who they are and know who they're hanging out with. Because I think this has been a weird year for parents who are used to knowing who their kids are hanging out with.
2: Oh, it's so true. And I've kind of noticed that I'm calling it kind of the COVID time warp. Like I'm noticing kids that I, last time I saw them in person, they seem like two feet taller now. I swear it's been more than a year. And so I I think as parents, we are finding ourselves in that new environment of, and maybe even it's the same kids, but they've grown gone through changes and and getting
0: reacquainted with them is a really good idea absolutely before we move on to other issues about why this is so important to talk about alcohol are there things that you can do if your kids aren't going to have the party at your house because there's a lot of other parents that might be in charge or they're going to maybe other parties what are the questions you really want to be checking in with them david before they go are there things that you want to think about before they head out i'm I'm sure we want to ask who they're gonna be hanging out with but what else do we ask
1: yeah, so I think what you all have been hitting on is that importance of the relationship and knowing the friends first off. But if they're going out, and, and by no means is it bad for teens to head out to other parties, like they don't have to stay at your home. Yeah. Um, and so there are a few questions. There's five W's, is what Parents in Power calls them for what you want to ask when, you, when your child is heading out to a, a different party or hanging out with friends or going bowling with friends, whatever it is. And those five W's are who will they be with? Where are they going? What are they doing? When will they be home and will alcohol be present? And then I like the follow-up questions. So those are, as they're heading out the door, make sure to ask those questions. But when they come home, ask them, you know, how was your evening? What did you end up doing? How was it? You know, did alcohol end up being present? What did you do? And so you can kind of have that good conversation before they head out the door, remind them of your rules But then follow up with them and and keep them accountable for what they were doing and where they said they were going to be at.
0: This is so important. And I think the why is so important in this conversation, too, Heidi. As we talk to our kids, they're probably like, oh, stop acting like old people. I'm just going to go be with my friends. I know that my kids, just the way they've been raised because I do news, and I'm like, information's power and facts, and like, give me a good reason why I should let you do something. And I like to give them good reasons on the opposite end of why I don't like to. Are there good facts we can give our kids to say, this is why I care, this is why it's important, I'm not just being mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think the why is so important. When we can put that into context, I think our kids come to realize like we're not just setting rules to be the ogre or to have some kind of false sense of power or control over them, but it really becomes about because we care about yeah, them. Yeah, there's real so harms. Much. There are definite real harms, and and a lot of those evolve around our brains. So you know, as, as we think and look at our kids as they're growing as parents we often have dreams for our kids and we know we can see them um, evolve in their talents and we have certain dreams for their futures and the older kids get they have dreams for their future too and sometimes what we forget is the brain is kind of the hub that's going to make all of that happen and what research has shown us is that when we drink under age that there can be real harms to learning and memory problem-solving, those kinds of things. Um, And an interesting tidbit um, is that four out of five people in treatment actually report that they started drinking under the age of 13. So that becomes an adolescent onset, um, increases your chance of addiction. And so what that tells us also is that it's very preventable. If we can keep our kids alcohol-free until they're into adulthood, just think about how that reduces their chance
0: um, for addiction and some of those problems later in life do we know why it's happening is it because our brain's still developing and it's just so susceptible to changes and different factors coming in yeah the growing brain is just different than the adult brain um, we know that that prefrontal
2: cortex doesn't really finish development until kids are about 26 years old so anything under development is extra fragile right so the same thing
0: applies for the brain I know. It's crazy to think about 26. I was thinking, well, how many big decisions did I make before that where I was not fully developed inside of my brain? Well, um, those are really important things, and we will we'll remind you several times, but there's a website, uh, Parents Empowered. You can go. You can find all these facts if you want to have them ready when you sit down and talk to your kids about them, but... I want to talk a little bit about attitudes. So, David, uh, we, all, we can talk to our kids about having attitudes all the time. We don't want them to give us attitude. But they look at our attitudes as well on just about everything, whether it's we're going over to mom's house or grandma's house. Do we have a bad attitude about that? What's our attitude towards exercise, drinking, all of these things? Is it important that they know um, how you feel about it? And is this a conversation or is this just an overall attitude that you've got to give them all the time, you know, where you stand?
1: Yeah and you mentioned my kids are really young and yeah. and so I'm I like to think that I'm still their whole world and so they listen to whatever <laughs> I say right like I can just tell them whatever You've I got want got a couple
0: good years left right yeah <laughs> uh,
1: but like that's still the the formative time for them to know, understand what you know and believe um and what you think can be harmful to them and then they can kind of develop that and so prevention starts young um I think by 9 years is when we want to ha- start having that conversation uh and so Teens are different, though. They get more information. They have friends. Mm -hmm. um, And we start to think, I think, as parents that, oh, it's my kids' friends that are determining what choices they're making. But in reality, parents are still the number one reason. Even as teens begin to age, as they head out out to high school, as they graduate from high school, parents are still that number one influence on the decision not to drink alcohol. And so if we can get that attitude across and set good, strong, no underage drinking rules... Our children are more likely to listen to us. We do a sharp survey every year, and we ask that, or every other year, and we ask that question to youth, mm-hmm. and we ask them, you know, what do you think your parents think of you drinking underage? And if children perceive that their parents think it's very wrong for them to drink underage, only about three percent of those go on to those youth go on to drink alcohol. When that's lower, just a little bit, even if a child perceives just a, it's wrong, or maybe it's even a little bit wrong. That number jumps up to 37% of youth um, in those categories that do drink alcohol. That's a big difference. It's a huge jump from that 3% to 37%. And so I like to tell parents, you know, when you're setting those rules, don't just kind of, you know, Work your way around it and be very very clear that you think underage drinking is very wrong.
0: So this has to be, I'm guessing, a united front, whether you are parents who are married or parents in different homes. Because if you have a good cop and bad cop attitude on alcohol, I'm assuming that kids are going to go for the it's okay then, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, no matter what the family situation is, um, if the adults in that Role can have that united front and be very clear because you're right. They're going, youth are smart. They're going to pick up on the difference. Oh, it's okay at, at one house, but it's not okay at the other house, or you know, even if it's the same house, dad's a little bit more lenient when mom's gone or whatever the situation might be. Um, it's never safe to allow youth to drink underage. It's going to set the wrong perception for that youth.
0: Yeah, and our kids know how to play us. So we've all been there before. So David mentioned that he is a nine year old, and that's about when you're supposed to start. So Heidi. When do you really want to start this conversation? And I'm not talking about just a one-time, hey, this is a bad idea, but when do you start and why at that age do we start? Yeah, like you said, Heidi, this is
2: an ongoing conversation. And I think as parents, we maybe categorize underage drinking and think, well, we can wait till they're teenagers. Like, I don't have to worry about that right now. But what the American Academy of Pediatrics suggests is that we talk to them as early as age nine. What we found is that kids, like uh, when they're in about sixth grade in those elementary years, their attitudes about alcohol are usually negative. Like they can see that that's maybe not a healthy choice for them. As they grow into adolescence, into 13, 14 years old, those attitudes start to shift into curiosity and maybe wanting to experiment. So when we can get a head start, and like David, um, you know, so greatly illustrated that when we can make those rules really clear have that united front as parents and then couple that with the reasons that we talked about that you know we value their hopes and dreams and their futures and because of that we care about the brain we know that underage drinking can have a serious impact on that um then we're we're ahead of their that game and and the evidence is there that they usually don't make that choice to drink underage
0: your kids are older, so you've had this talk with them. Did you really start that young at your house? Talking you know, to them? I
2: learned some of this uh, information a little late in the yeah. game. I wish I could do that. Um, thankfully, though, um, you know, I did... Have that kind of midstream, and we started having some good conversations about these things. I actually remember taking them to a parenting class where my kids ta- um, learned refusal skills. How if they were offered drugs or alcohol, that they could um, actually have this skill set on how to say no um, without feeling awkward about it. You know, maybe bringing up an alternate activity um, and how to make a firm stand on that. And I remember when we took that class, we we practiced it. You know, we did some role play with that and that was a really great experience in helping them kind of troubleshoot some barriers and really informative to me as a mom too you know i think anytime any of us do something new it can feel really awkward and yeah. challenging so to imagine our kids in those situations it's it's empowering thus parents empowered emp- empowering as a parent to be able to literally teach them some skills what's going to happen if you get in that situation and you're you're offered alcohol underage what are you going to say? What are you going to feel like? What are you going to What are you going to do to move past that discomfort? And how can I support you as a parent in making that decision?
0: I think that's so important because I don't know if the rest of the world's like me, but I always feel like a people pleaser. Just in general, where you don't want to ruffle feathers, you don't want to annoy anyone, you just kind of like go along with the flow. And so I've had to learn over my adult years that you know, whether it's work or other things that you have to say no, but as a child or a young teenager, I think it's hard to set those boundaries and know you can say no. And I think that if you talk to your kids about that, that confidence is really what makes a huge difference if they can go in there and give their answer confidently. I think other people feed off that confidence. I remember my husband told me in high school, he grew up in uh, Bullhead City, Arizona in those years, and he was going to parties all the time where there was alcohol. It was definitely a different um, vibe than you'd get in Utah, not that kids don't drink here, but uh, he said that when he'd say no, all the kids would be like, cool, leave him alone, you know, because he was confident, he was cool with it, and they're like, let him be cool, you know, so I think that if we can teach our kids that confidence, it'll be so much easier if they end up in a situation where maybe they didn't intend to be, so, so yeah, important to absolutely. talk about. And I think a lot of that confidence comes from being prepared, right? Yeah,
2: so, absolutely. Like, and another
0: reason to, to practice, the more they practice, the more they'll be prepared and feel that confidence. A real-life test so our kids are drinking, whether we'd like to admit it or not, not all of our kids, but many kids are drinking. Where are they getting alcohol from? We see in the movies, David, that you know they've, somebody's always got a cooler, older friend that's uh, going to the gas station and bringing something home. Is that really how's it, how it happens, or where are kids getting their alcohol from?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and, and this is also asked on that SHARP survey that's given to students um, in the 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th grade every other year in the state of Utah. And I think parents would be shocked to learn where their youth are drinking. Um, parents, um, when they're interviewed, they tend to identify parties as the, you know, maybe that's the top place mm-hmm. that youth are getting it. So maybe it is that situation where older friends go into the gas station, brings it home, and then they throw a party on Friday night after the football game. Um, and parents less often, only about 12% of parents identify like drinking at home. So drinking um, either because mom and dad are out of the house and alcohol is available in the fridge or um, drinking just they. Somehow bring it home to to the house, um, but when youth are asked that question, so fifty seven percent of youth do drink at parties. So when we survey students and we narrow it down to just the ones that do drink alcohol, fifty seven percent of them say, "Yeah, I, I do drink at parties." So that's a pretty high percentage. But fifty nine percent of students say that they are drinking at home, uh, and so there is a little bit of a disconnect on where parents think drinking maybe is happening and where it is actually happening. And then more concerning than, than either of those two is that 44% of students that drink are getting alcohol at home with their parents' permission. Uh, and so it's never safe to provide alcohol, and it's actually illegal to provide alcohol to somebody underage, whether it's our own child or not. And again, we go back to that perceptions um, where if you think it's very wrong, they're very unlikely to go on to drink. But when it's that wrong or a little bit wrong, much more likely to drink. Whenever a parent provides alcohol, whether they think, hey, it's very wrong for you to drink underage if I'm not, you know supplying it. That's not always what happens. Um, youth are more likely to go on to drink or binge drink when mom and dad aren't around. Um, If the parents are providing alcohol in the home,
0: that's important to think about because I've heard parents that do that before. They're like, I know my kids are going to drink, so we're going to have them do it at home. I'll, you know, pay attention. I won't let them drive anywhere because maybe that's their top concern that they don't want their kids drinking and driving. So maybe they'll drive the kids home or let them have a sleepover, but they're not thinking about the consequences of their brain. You're not being the cool parent. You're maybe breaking their brain in the long run. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Highly mentioned the, you know, the developing brain is developing and it's really primed for addiction. And so anytime you're providing alcohol in that situation, they're just much more likely to develop that addiction, develop long-term drinking problems, um, or to harm the brain in other ways that affect their development and affect their long-term future. And so we don't want to, you know, provide alcohol to our youth in a situation um, that's going to distort their perception that this is okay. Um, It's not really Um, being that cool parent if we're doing that it's probably the opposite we're the cool parent when we do set those limits and do set the boundaries Um, and I think that's the message that we really want to get is you know it's not cool to provide alcohol to students it's really cool um, to be that good example and to set that no underage drinking rule
0: yeah and if you do get caught I'm assuming you could end up in jail paying fines whatnot because we see those stories every once in a while in the news of a parent who you know provided alcohol and something else went terribly wrong at the party and with social media these days those pictures you never know where they're going to end up, right? Um, I want to talk a little bit about examples of way parents can engage with their kids and talk with them about healthy brains and underage drinking because we're talking about it right now as school's getting out and summer's starting. But we don't have to talk to them just when there's occasion. Can we slip this into normal dinner time conversation? Yeah, you bet we can. And in fact,
2: that's not only um, something we can do, but really recommended. A real rule of thumb here to follow is to just find those everyday opportunities to have conversations with our kids. And especially when we can get into their world. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes that can be just a good activity for parents. You know, we often lead, lead really stressful lives, but our kids have a lot of stress in their lives too. And sometimes if we can set aside our own agenda and just consider what a day in the life For our kids, looks like the different stresses on their plate. Um, And then naturally, just kind of understanding where they're coming from can lead to some of those discussions uh, about alcohol. Um, And when we ask those open-ended questions about alcohol, we can kind of um, ascertain some of their feelings about it and really can open up an opportunity for these discussions about the health of their brain and what they want long-term. And then that leads to the opportunity to set some of these clear rules um, in that right context so that they know we're doing that because, because we care about them. Um, another real good uh, rule of them we talked about role playing, um, but maybe getting a commitment from them after we set these rules um, to ask them, you know, now that we've talked about this, um, you know, can I get a commitment from you that, um, you know, until you've, grown and you're an adult that will stay alcohol free and then revisit that conversation and do it often. Um, so that it's never a question in their mind how you feel when it comes to underage drinking. So this
0: really has to be an ongoing conversation.
2: Yeah, and like so many other things, right, there's lots as parents that we have to keep on our radar, but it's important that we keep this one about underage drinking a a crucial conversation that we continue to have.
0: Absolutely, and David, I want to talk a little bit about how you get to that point, because kids, if you don't pay attention to their everyday lives and what they care about and what their goals are, they're probably not going to listen to you when you talk about things that are important to them, so... What do we do so that we make sure that kids, our kids are willing to listen to us, willing to sit down and have these tough conversations?
1: Yeah, so the number one thing we can do as parents is. is what Parents of Powered calls bonding, um, and it's really just like what you mentioned, is spending time in their world. So spending time doing what they like to do. Um, sometimes that lines up with what we like to do. Sometimes it's us branching out and you know taking that hour or two hours to do what they like to do um, that maybe we don't find as enjoyable, but spending that time bonding with them. I heard at one time mentioned as kind of like a parenting pyramid. And so at the bottom of the pyramid, you have that bonding piece, the relationship that you're building with your child. If we don't have a good, strong relationship with our child, When we set rules, then they're not going to necessarily follow them. Mm -hmm. If if they see us as a dictator or whatever, like if we don't have a relationship, they're just not going to follow through with that. The middle of that pyramid might be teaching. And so we teach them the rules. We set those um, consequences, the boundaries, and then the top might be that correcting piece. And so if we have that good, strong foundation, we should be spending less time at the top of the pyramid and more time in that bonding, that relationship piece. I think uh, you guys have been talking about conversations and how to have those conversations with your children. And I think of my child, a nine-year-old at the very earliest of this, you know, when we should start having that conversation. And I want to reiterate how important it is. And I think parents, uh, me included, are shocked when we talk to our children and know how much they already know, even at nine and even more so what they're exposed to. My, my child that, you know, we've brought up this conversation and, we kind of do it at the dinner table so that dinner time is a good time for our family to kind of talk. And so it allows us to even loop in our younger kids to the conversation. But even my nine-year-old's been at home at houses where there's been alcohol, you know, in the fridge or whatever, like not that it was provided to them and not that they were drinking, but it's there. They know what it is. They've seen it. Uh, And so having those conversations at a young age and, you know, setting that expectation, well, what do you do? What if your friend offers that to you? What do you do in that situation? And so there's times even as young as nine, where that is a really important conversation to have with them.
0: No, I think that's super important. And I think that sometimes it has to be younger. Uh, When I was living in Florida there, um, most of our friends uh, were drinkers. I think it's different here in Utah with who my kids are hanging out with, but they knew there was an adult cooler and a kid's cooler. They knew the difference between drinks and what they could and couldn't have. So I think kids are always a lot smarter than we think. And one thing that I think is interesting, too, is if you do have kids at different ages – they start to be the teachers of the younger ones. I've noticed that with my kids. I only have two, but there's a six-year spread. And I think once they've grasped the information, information, they help you out with the younger kids because they want to be the ones who know and help them out along the way. So I think that's super helpful, too, and fun to watch, I guess, as they get a hold of the information and share as well. It takes part of your job away. Um, one question I had, and I'm sure that parents are listening that don't know much about this survey you keep mentioning this survey where kids answer questions. Uh, do they do this at school? Is it voluntary? Are they putting their names on this? Is this anonymous? How are you getting this information that kind of guides the way we're looking at all this?
1: Yeah. So we call it the student health, uh, Risk and Assessment Survey. I hope I got that Risk okay. right. Risk and Profile the key. Profile. Oh, <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a survey that's conducted across the state of Utah in most school districts. Uh, it is a, a completely anonymous survey. It's done in school during class time. It takes about one class period to take the survey. Um, kids may finish it a little bit quicker than that. Um, and oftentimes now it's even moving online. So it used to be the you know the old yeah. pencil and paper, but it's now uh, you know computer survey. Oftentimes. And the neat thing about this survey is parents have to give the consent to their child to take the survey. So it's not just given to every student. There has to be a parental consent to it. And then, all the, again, all the answers are anonymous. So there's no tying of data or answers to one particular child. And we think about our rural areas a lot in the state of Utah. Even if that rural population is really, really small, if they don't hit enough students per grade or per that whole school, they don't release that information either. And so they, they're really cognizant and concerned about the data that gets out. And, and uh, you know, they don't want it to be identifiable, identifiable to an individual person. But the data is really vital to the statistics that we get to inform prevention and what risk and protective factors uh, you know, communities need to address. It's vital to the funding that the state gets for school programs and for um, other behavioral health programs.
0: So even if you feel like your kids might not be honest with you when you're having conversations, you can look at this data and know that kids are feeling like they can be honest and share this information. So take, that, take those numbers to heart great information. Well, Heidi, as parents are going about these conversations, sometimes we'd like a crutch to lean back on and somebody else who has better information. Where do people go if they want to brush up themselves before they go talk to their kids? Yeah, like you said earlier, I think information's really
2: powerful. So, if parents would like to arm themselves, um, get some good tools for their toolkit on this issue, they can visit parentsempowered.org Lots of great information there and tips about
0: everything that we've talked about today. And is it a place for parents or is it a place that you can send your kids as well? What's what, what's the best use yeah, of the it's website? it's mainly built for
2: parents. Um, kids could certainly grab some great information there too. But we know that as we educate parents and empower them to have stronger relationships, to set these rules, that that's really what's going to prevent them long-term when they have that invested interest from their parents.
0: All right, great information. We hope all the kids have had a happy school year. We learned uh, just this week from the governor that kids get to go to their last week of school without masks. Hopefully you can see those smiling faces and have a happy, successful summer with your kids. Well, thank you both of you for being in here. And again, all of that information is online. Thanks for listening in. Tell your friends about us. Thank you.